Holy crap. A new introduction to the podcast. But for real, though, the rest of it will come after this. I just want to thank you guys. Um, all the five-star ratings that we're getting on all the podcast apps is awesome. And I appreciate it when I hear people telling me that someone else told them about the podcast. So you guys rock. Uh, listen to the commercials or skip by them. It's cool. And your episode's on its way. Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws... Well, they both look pretty badass, and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at AssaultLimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out urbnsvg.com. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best kit secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 eqip.com a3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion a lip balm a hair conditioner honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy get yours today at a3 eqip.com all doctors to the er do these guys have any idea what they are talking about talking about talking about Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. What is up, y'all? We are back with another episode of the Squared Away Podcast. Got a got a fun one here. We've we've been diving deeper into the the physical lately, but the cool thing about Dr. Christine Boev is she specializes in a lot of the different pillars working with sleep and stress and longevity and I wanted to get her on here and just kind of dig into her brain and see what kind of actionable intel we can get out of her. Um, Dr. Christine you want to you want to give us your background give us your history and tell us why we should why we should listen to you? Yeah absolutely thank you guys for having me on. So I have been studying anti-aging medicine. I've been studying how do we promote longevity, not just living longer, but living better and really implementing these strategies, not only with myself, but I do personal development coaching that deals with not just the physical, but the mental health and the you know mental toughness aspect of things as well. And so what I do with my clients is I share what's worked for me and how I've really been able to 
almost age backwards, I would say, in a way, and that my biomarkers and all of the pillars of longevity are aligning in a way that you can proactively take steps so that you don't have to get old and slow down and decline. You know, my goal really is just every day get a little bit better and improve my my health, my well-being, and just my overall perspective on life. And it's through really manageable, sensible strategies. So I'm excited to share with you guys kind of things that work for me and things that work for my clients. So, Christine, my mother always told me never to ask a woman her age, but may I ask just oh, a, a season, just a season. That's all I so that we are so that our, our guests yeah. our our listeners understand that you're not a 22 year old here telling us about longevity. No, I, actually, I'm really proud of my age. I'm going to be 49 next month, and I honestly have never felt better. The one thing that I notice with getting older is my strength hasn't decreased my, I keep my cardio up or improve my cardio constantly. But the one thing, and Martin knows this, cause he's been going through this a lot is the injuries seem to nag more and more. So let's start out with like, what kind of stuff can we be doing to be healing those injuries quicker, but also trying to stay away from those as much as possible? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think two things, number one, is you've got to prioritize your strength training. And we can talk about that more in detail in a little bit. But we also have to prioritize recovery. And I think as you, you know, as you're older, you're busier, you've got competing responsibilities, we don't take enough time for the recovery aspect of, you know, the training that we require on our bodies. And so things that I do that I think are incredibly beneficial in terms of injury prevention and recovery, Basic, you know, basic is stretching afterwards. You know, you are asking your body to do a lot in strength training sessions. So you've got to give your body some time to recover. So stretching is important. But I have also really embraced um, infrared sauna therapies. That's one of my go-tos to help with recovery, um, detoxification. And then I've really jumped into the cold plunge realm i think there is great science behind cold plunging and it's something that i would love to incorporate on a daily basis i have not done that yet but it you know every time i have the opportunity to cold plunge i do that and you know from a cellular health level that's where you can start to prevent the injuries and things like that and then also too just that muscle mind connection, really being mindful of what you're asking your body to do. A lot of us suffer injuries when we're not paying attention, you know, walking down the stairs, twisting your ankles and just really just not being connected and being present. And that contributes to injuries as well. Yeah. That oh, makes so the question sense. I got is, I mean, I'm, I'm 51, soon to be 52 here. So, um, you know, the biggest thing I hear the key to longevity is lean muscle mass. Right. And, yeah. you know, I find it harder and harder to maintain that and harder and harder to keep up a, you know, even a five day workout week. And so I am doing the infrared sauna, you know, I'm doing hot tub for like today, like almost an hour after, you know, the workout just to feel halfway normal again. Um, but interesting, you said the cold plunge. So have you heard, is it, better to do prior to workout or is that an after workout 
if you want to maintain that lean muscle? I think it really just depends on how consistent you can do the practice. So for me, I like to work out sauna and then cold plunge in that order. And that's just, I think it's just preference. It's such a newer modality. I'd say newer, like for us in the United States that we don't know in terms of timing, like what is optimal, but if you can just do it, the benefits for inflammation and cellular health, and then there's huge mental health benefits to cold plunging. I don't know that it really matters when you do it in terms of timing, but just getting in there, it's only three minutes. Like three minutes has really been shown to be the dose that is effective. And there's, you know, the temperature, it's really like in the 40s, 40 degrees, any less than that doesn't really matter. Um, but cold plunging for 40 degrees for three minutes, if you've tried it, it's excruciating. Yeah. Like it is that first 30 seconds is just like a shock to your system. Yeah. But, you know, Martin, talking about lean muscle mass, as you get older, it is harder and harder to maintain lean muscle mass. And what we've really found in the science community is muscle is your longevity organ more so than anything else. And so if you want to live a long, healthy life and be able to be mobile and active, you've got to prioritize building lean muscle, men and women both. And mother nature is not kind to us as we get older and age, you know, in your fifth and sixth decade, if you are not proactive, you are going to lose 10% of that muscle mass. And that is massive, right? And then you've got the connection between lean muscle mass and bone health. So when you talk about injuries, you might fall, but it's a lot different if you fall and break your hip, right? So the more muscle you have on your frame, the stronger your bones are. And I don't know about you guys, but I have no interest in breaking a bone at all. So there's a lot of things that we can do to prevent that. Oh, uh, you said you want to be 120 and, and active. So I saw that and yeah, yeah. I'd like to at least get to a hundred and active here. So I think we all can, you know, it's, we know so much more than we did a generation ago. So for all of us to live to 120 is extremely realistic, but hmm. do you want to live to 120 being in a bed, a mobile, right. you know, having poor quality of life? I don't think anybody does. So you have to just have that move it or lose it mentality. Do you know if anybody's doing any studies with um, cold plunge and the reduction in actual muscle gain? Because I know there's a lot of speculation that cold plunge reduces the inflammation markers that tell the body to yeah. actually build muscle. But I don't know if anybody's actually right. Whenever we have a study, it's got to be funded and there's not really a specific institute right. to, to fund that study. So that's, that's the one thing that I worry about with cold plunges. You got somebody, let's say three days a week, put in the, the, the work to put in the volume, you know, the 15 to 20 sets of whatever muscle group they're working mm -hmm. on to try to cause the biggest hypertrophy to put on the most muscle. And then they go and cold plunge and drastically reduce the body's, I guess, mechanisms that tell the body to build more muscle. So have yeah, you seen anything Huberman, about that? Yeah. Huberman said prior though, to increase the testosterone. Okay. I mean, I've, I've been doing mine like first thing in the morning versus after so I get that uh, inflammation but I don't know what do you, what do you think <laughs> yeah well 
Huberman's podcasts and his research are, he, he's just a pioneer in the field of anti-aging and longevity. So I, I would definitely, and especially for your audience geared toward men, um, that's, he's a great source to go to. I think there's a lot more research that needs to be done. And the problem with cold plunging is it's not a very, it's not a big profitable area. You know, you can cold plunge in an ice bath. You can cold, I cold plunge right now in our lake and it's absolutely freezing. Um, So I think that there's more to be known, but you know, when you think about inflammation and building muscle, I think of them as two distinctly different areas. Your whole, your whole notion of not having or decreasing inflammation has to do with, you know, recovery from injuries. And, you know, when you lift weights, you're tearing down muscle, right? So you're trying to build it back up as well. Um, And then those inflammatory markers, like your C-reactive protein and things like that, you want to keep those at bay as much as possible, because then you're looking at the metabolic health, right? Of, we can get into that, you know, insulin resistance and, and things like that. So I think I look at them separately, where I look at strength training, recovery as one realm of building muscle, and then tactics to decrease inflammation as a little bit separate, because I think they're both incredibly important. Um, and I don't know for sure if we could say that there's any sort of competing you know, mechanisms between them. That makes sense. And I like, the, I like what you brought up, Martin, about the cold plunging prior, because if you are cold plunging prior... And then you have elevated hormones throughout the workout, and then post workout you still have the um, the the short term inflammation that causes the muscle gain. And then with the stretching that you brought up, I want to make sure that everybody realizes that we're talking about stretching post workout or even or oh, even yeah. hours after your workout, not stretching prior to a workout, turning off all the neuronal connections to the muscles, and then trying to create any sort of mind-muscle connection and make your muscles strong, because that type of stretching is is not beneficial. Yeah, we learned that a long time ago, right? Remember back in the 90s, we would, you know, always stretch beforehand and then work out and then stretch afterwards. And then we, we found out quickly that that was made absolutely no sense. So yeah, you should not stretch before. I do like to warm up before yeah. a workout, um, especially if I'm doing legs, I like to do the step mill, you know, just something to just get the blood flowing to my lower extremities and then hit lower body really hard. Those are your biggest muscle groups. So you have the opportunity to have the most gains with those. And I think a lot of us know, and if, if you don't know, then I, I bet that if you if you started thinking about it for a few minutes when you did work out, you would understand. But most of us have a, a weaker front or a weaker rear when it comes to especially lower body. Mm-hmm. And if you have a weaker rear, then it's time to activate the rear muscles when you start to do lower body. So you're doing glute activation and hamstring activation and stuff like that versus if you are, you know, one of those gym girls with the big old butt and the big old hamstrings, but you but you're weaker on the front end, then it would be time to activate the quads and activate the the flexors and all the stuff there on the front of your body. But just make sure that you're getting all of those muscles activated before you start putting them under heavy load. Otherwise you take a chance of um, injuring yourself really, but especially not getting the amount of volume and strength that you could from the each workout. If you're, you know, there, I can't tell you how many people that start, try to start squatting and they have zero activation of their glutes and they can't figure out why their, their squat form is not getting figured out. And, and that happens all the time. But, um, okay. So 
if we want to build lean muscle mass, and you know, I think we all have heard a lot of the the bro science, but as far as cutting through all the minutia, you know, I'm 40, I'm not 40 yet, but I'm real close. Martin's 50. <laughs> Let's talk, you know, 25 to 55, 60 years old. Um, what does that look like as far as trying to pack on or maintain as much lean muscle mass as we can as far as diet, um, training protocols, recovery, timing, stuff like that. What, what, what do you know about that? Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't matter your gender, males and females alike. It's the same approach. And I take the same approach, whether my clients are men or women, and that we strength train four to five days a week. And I think for females in particular, there was this cardio obsession that hopefully people are starting to get away from. You know, I used to be the person, you know, back in the day that the only thing I did was ride the elliptical for 30 minutes. And then I was like, okay, I'm done. I can, I can leave. Um, so I do purposeful strength training four to five days a week. And then on a rest day, like today, I'm going to go do hot vinyasa yoga which is not anything, it's not really a rest day. It's just something that I, I absolutely love. And then thinking about nutrition, it's really all about protein. When it comes down to it, the science is very clear that if you want to build and maintain muscle mass, you have got to prioritize protein. And for the most part, I recommend, it's pretty standard, one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass. And I say lean body mass because I have clients that are 300 pounds. They, they don't have the wherewithal to consume 300 grams of protein a day. It also has to be sensible, right? You've got to have something that is sustainable so that it's not some sort of, you know, diet or program. Like this is how you do you for life. And then the other like thing that's a no brainer, in my opinion, is creatine. I use creatine um, for every workout. There's differing opinions about timing of creatine, but I usually do it intra. So I will put it in my water and then um, just drink it during. And then there's usually some afterwards that I will use. But the science behind creatine is very straightforward and that it's it's your friend when you're trying to put on muscle mass. So men, women, it doesn't matter. You should be using creatine. Three to five grams, right? Three to five grams daily and monohydrate, I think is probably the best. That's what I use. Yeah. And, and I, I like uh, first form. I think they make probably the best quality products out there. Um, but yeah, three to five grams. Some of my females will all say two to five, 2.5 grams, just because some of them, they get really bloated and things like that. But for me, I usually do one scoop of five grams and I sip it, you know, during the workout. And then there's usually some left afterwards. And what I tell people is some is better than none. And it's, it's an affordable supplement that's been shown to be very safe. Yeah. hundred percent. And then as far as like workout protocols, um, what do you suggest for, for that, for people? In terms of like body parts, uh, rep ranges, volume, stuff like that. Yeah. So I have found for, for myself and, you know, most of my clients, we do higher reps. So I'll do, you know, lower body. I'll start off with squatting. I'll do five sets. My first set is 20 and I, it's usually just kind of a warm up set, very low weight. And then I'll do 20, 15, 12, 10. And that 10 
is usually to failure. And I'll work um, upper body twice a week, lower body twice a week, alternating, you know, chest and arm, shoulder and back. Um, most females, in my opinion, like to preference or put some more time into the lower body where my male clients like to spend more time on the upper body. And it also depends too on, you know, where your opportunities are. So I use the in-body scan for all of my clients. I think it provides really good data in terms of where your muscle is, you know, what percentage of body fat are we really looking at? And then what's realistic in terms of your goals of percent body fat. And then I also like to see where that visceral fat is because that's the fat that's associated with your risk of heart disease. And so if you want to live till you're 120, you know, the biggest things that are going to take you out are going to be cancer, you know, heart disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. So all of those things are directly related to your body composition. So how do we, how do we know for sure, right, what we're looking for? And so I think in-body scanning is just a great way. It's easy. It's not expensive to, to see where we're, we're looking at. The other thing, too, is the bathroom scale is, to me, really just the least important metric when you're trying to put muscle on. And so really trying to get people out of that mentality of, oh, you know, I didn't lose any weight this week or in the last two weeks, but what does your body composition look like, right? That's where, that's where the gold is, in my opinion. I think a lot of people are leaving a lot on the table when it comes to that kind of, uh, you know, eight to 12 rep failure set. Um, I know yeah. that I don't do it near enough. And I know that, you know, just the, the people that I work out with, the people that I watch at the gym like that. Yeah, I'll, I'll get a three rep failure set. But the, the, the amount of muscle damage that I'm doing on a three rep failure set really is nothing compared to that eight to 10 to 12 rep failure set where on that 12th rep, I literally could not do another set. And when I do those, I'm, I'm sore for, you know, two days. And you can tell that those are the, those are the sets that are really causing the amount of, um, you know, damage that it's going to cause the muscle building to come back. And when you get this over, so. then you're doing eight to 12 reps. So. Well, I do eight to 12 reps, but the eight to 12, <laughs> when you tell somebody, when you tell somebody eight to 12 reps, it needs to be an asterisk on there, like eight to 12 reps, but somewhere in there, you can't do another rep, not like just put on enough weight to do eight to 12. Mm -hmm. That's where a lot of people are leaving a lot on the table. Yeah, I agree. And and you should be very sore the next 24 to 48 hours. And I always say that's a great metric of how good of a workout you put in is, you know, I did legs yesterday. I walked down the stairs today and I was like, oh yeah, I definitely feel it. If you're not doing that, you're not working hard enough. And so really understanding, you know, what your limits are and then always pushing the boundaries of, of what those are. You know, if you're going to build muscle, you've got to challenge yourself. Yeah. And let's be clear. That is with a goal of putting muscle on your frame. This is not a powerlifting goal. This is not a, a, a sport, you know, uh, functional, a functional ability, functional agility, um, goal. This is literally the goal of putting on lean muscle mass. If you're looking to just raise your numbers on what you can lift, that is not necessarily the best way to go about it because you are going to reduce your ability to put in heavyweight volume by being sore for three days. Yeah, absolutely. And all of us really should have the goal of, of building lean muscle mass. And, you know, nobody's going to turn into a bodybuilder by accident. It, that's not even possible. And so men and women alike really need to focus on 
putting more muscle on their frame. You know, men need to really look at the lower body more so, and then women need to look at their upper body because there's a lot of opportunities. You know, some of my female clients, they're like, why do I need to work chest? I'm like, but your, your pectorals are, it's a massive muscle group. You have a, you know, of course you're going to work chest. And I know a lot of my male clients, they neglect their legs. And I'm like, well, you don't look proportionate. Do you, do you want to look proportionate? Because those are the biggest muscle groups on your body. And not for nothing, they make you the most metabolic, meaning you're burning more calories at rest. So another thing the in-body does is it measures your, you know, resting metabolic rate. And as you build muscle, that number should go up so that you should be burning more calories just by doing nothing, by putting more muscle on. And we have an obesity epidemic in this country. So wouldn't that make sense that we all had the goal of improving our muscle? Yeah. And if you only do upper body, I'm going to look at you and call you a Dorito. So you don't, you don't want me to do that. Yeah. So, um, okay. So we, we covered, you kind of, you threw out there the few things that are going to take us out, right? The heart disease, the cancer, and really after that, it's a, it's a horse apiece, but those are, those are the two big ones. Um, what can we start doing today, tomorrow, the next day to, um, I guess, reduce our um, risk for both of those things as much as possible. So the common denominator, most people will call them the four killers of, of aging, the four things that are going to take you down. Like I said, cancer, heart disease, me metabolic disease, like um, diabetes, and then Alzheimer's. And the common denominator between the four of those is inflammation. And so if you hone in on how do I decrease inflammation, then that is going to be your number one way that you're going to fight aging. And so I look at inflammation in a couple of ways. You know, number one, it's, it's what you eat, your nutrition. And we can talk about, you know, highly inflammatory foods. Number two is your physical movement. What are you doing? And then I look at supplementation because I think supplementation is really important. And then some of the other therapies, like we talked about infrared sauna, red light therapy, cold, if you don't have a cold plunge, you could try cryo, which I think is great for inflammation. But if you can, at a fundamental level, quell inflammation, that's going to really reduce your risk of dying of all of those things. And then not for nothing, obesity is highly correlated with cancer and heart disease. So if you're obese, your risk of getting cancer is double that of somebody who is of a normal body weight. So we've got to stop tiptoeing around obesity like you're shaming somebody. It's not that you're shaming somebody. You're simply going to die quicker if you continue to, to be obese. So that's the way that I, I look at those things. And you know we can break them down one by one. Um, but from a nutritional standpoint, there are foods that we know that are highly inflammatory. And the big ones that everybody in your audience should really try to minimize is going to be high fructose corn syrup, which nobody needs in their diet. Unfortunately, alcohol is a big one. Any kind of sugar and then your seed oils. All of those, you know, canola, grape seed, all of those oils are incredibly inflammatory. Your arteries absolutely hate them. And that's what causes plaque to build up inside of your arteries. So if you could, at a minimum, just reduce that, that would make a huge difference in terms of, you know, your, the inflammation in your body. And then there are foods that we know that are very, you know, 
cause your inflammation to go down, you know, raspberries, strawberries, salmon, there's a whole list of them. Um, and then there's things that, you know, you definitely want to stay away from anything fried in oil, you should never put in your body, like ever, as much as French fries are delicious, they're, they're worse for you than smoking. So you've really got to think about that when you make decisions on you know, what you're going to eat. So nutrition would be, I would call the low hanging fruit of where you could start. I think a hundred percent. And then another one, you know, as far as even with, um, including with recovery is, is sleep. So uh, when I, whenever I talk to somebody, that's the first thing I tell them to get in control because, um, studies have already shown that if you're lacking sleep, you have zero willpower or ability to stick to decisions that you've made or much less willpower and ability to stick to decisions you made. So if you don't have your sleep in check, then you're not going to put in the work to improve all the other things. So, um, why don't we get into what everybody can be doing to improve the quality and the quantity of their sleep? Yeah, sleep is, is huge. And it's definitely one of those things that I continue to work on. I wish, you know, I, I wear an aura ring. I don't know if you guys ever heard of these things, but yeah, it measures we're, everything. We're, we're, we're whoopers, but same, same, same idea. Okay. Yeah. Similar similar, right? And so it, it, it'll give you all that data that'll let you know, not just how long you're sleeping, but the quality of your sleep. And for most high performers, we want to spend less time in bed, but making that time more meaningful. So getting on the first thing I would say is get on a good sleep schedule. And that that requires discipline, right? Going to bed at the same time, waking up at the same time. I tend to be an early riser. I'm just more productive in the morning, but that means that I need to go to bed earlier. And, you know, I've got kids, my whole family knows like 930, I'm upstairs. I like to read, like I'm, I'm out. Um, and, and again, that's a lifestyle change and it's harder to do that on the weekends than the weekdays. So it requires you to be very disciplined. So timing. The other thing that's going to make a huge difference is if you could go outside first thing in the morning and get some direct sunlight on your face. Now, I live in Rochester, New York. It is very gray and cloudy this time of year, but the sun's out there somewhere. So I like to just go outside and it gets your circadian hormones in balance when you do that. Other things is screen time, you know, really putting the screens away two hours before you go to bed. Um, the lights, light is very toxic. So we changed all the light bulbs in our bedroom to amber light bulbs because they tend to be much more gentler on the receptors in your eyes that talk to your brain. And then I do a lot of essential oils at night, you know, things lavender and things that just are calming to try to get me to bed. And then the last thing, which is probably the most beneficial is temperature. We sleep better in a colder room. So ideally, Sorry for all the climate people, but 65 degrees is kind of the sweet spot for, you know, what your room temp should be. And if you can do that, then, you know, you're probably going to sleep better. Have you messed with any of the uh, suggested supplements that I think Huberman put out there as far as magnesium, three and eight? Um, There's two other ones and I can't even think of what they are, but um, I know I take me and Martin. I know we take magnesium every day just as far as a ZMA. Um, or a ZMK, but I know that for a lot of, um, for a lot of people, they are magnesium um, deficient. So I take a lot of supplements and if I had to choose one, if I could only take one, it would be magnesium. And I take magnesium every single evening. 
And I take it for three reasons. Um, number one, it's essential nervous system, kind of it calms everything down. So it does help promote sleep. It also helps to prevent constipation. So you'll know if you overdo it with your magnesium because you'll have diarrhea. Um, and the third thing is I used to have some heart palpitation stuff and my cardiologist prescribed magnesium. So it's really like kind of a trifecta for me in terms of how it helps in many different ways. It is definitely like my most needed supplement. Although, like I said, I take several, um, I've tried other things for sleep. I've tried melatonin, nothing really has a, a huge impact for me that I've noticed. So, um, I think it, I think it depends. And then it also suppresses your own body's production of melatonin when you take it. So I try to be really careful to keep everything endogenously producing. And so my brain is working the way it's supposed to. Yeah. The thing I noticed with melatonin is melatonin, it, it, it whenever I've tried it, it seems fine to fall asleep, but I'm up an hour or two later and then tossing and turning and I don't get good sleep anyways. So if it's, there's not really a benefit there as far as what I can see, other than if just falling asleep is your issue and you don't have any, you know, negative effects from it. But I felt like it really just, I felt like it almost uh, yeah. put like a short term reduction on my brain and then it like kicked it back up after I'd been asleep for an hour or two. Well, I think the, the, other- the shelf is, I think the dosages are too high too. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of that. I know so, that the dosages are awful. That. I know the dosages yeah. are awful as far as like the same exact bottle has been tested and the dosages are thousands of percent different. So yeah. anyways. And the other two substances that you really need to pay attention to with sleep is caffeine and alcohol. So, you know, alcohol, you would think like, oh, I'm going to pass out, but then it completely disrupts your sleep mid cycle. And then caffeine, you know, some people can have an espresso at 10 o'clock at night and I can't, like, I know kind of my window to stop drinking caffeine is around 2 PM. Otherwise it will impact my sleep. And as adults, we're supposed to be getting 30% of our sleep is supposed to be deep sleep. I say supposed to be, I'm never even close to 30% of deep sleep, but it's something that, you know, I continue to work on. I continue to tweak things in my environment to see if I can, you know, get there. I think for me and a lot of people, my mind just doesn't like to shut off. And so those are just some things that you want to think about if you're trying to improve your sleep. But you're right, Paul, like sleep is everything. If you can get good quality sleep, you will be a much more productive human. And you'll just be able to focus on, you know, what are your goals? What are the things that you need to accomplish today? And you won't have that kind of back and forth in your head, like, should I or shouldn't I? It's just execute, execute, execute without the deliberation. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, now, as we get older, our mobility likes to decrease. Um I don't think that that's necessarily something that has to happen. I think it happens because a snowball effect with us moving less and doing less, and then your body gets less mobile because it's required to do less. Um, But I know you said you do yoga, but for Mm -hmm. people that aren't necessarily going to pick up a yoga practice, what are some things that they could do to maintain or even increase their mobility as they get older? 
it's really doesn't have to be fancy or complicated. I mean, just the most basic stretching, like, can you touch your toes if you bend over? Um, If you can't, then those are just some small goals to work on. I, I've always been somebody who's been very flexible. I was a gymnast when I was younger. So that's really lended itself to allow me to continue to do headstands and handstands and, and be, be very nimble. Um, but if you're somebody who doesn't have great mobility, I have a 19 year old son who is a big gym rat and he is so tight, you know, and I'm always talking to him, like, you've got to work on your mobility. And so, you know, we just work on some basic things, but of course, he, he's your typical 19 year old, right? Who goes to the gym. He's all about just lifting, lifting, lifting with very little recovery. And unfortunately he's going to have some injuries. So I would say just start with basic, basic things, you know, and it doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to do headstands, just stretch your muscles. We have some stretch labs in our area. Those are great places to visit and just kind of see where you are on the mobility scale and give yourself a goal to work up to interesting what's a stretch lab we're in the midwest so, so we don't get stuff like that it'll okay. be two years before we see anything <laughs> yeah they're literally places like like it's like a gym but you go for a 30 minute session and they just stretch you out and it's amazing i mean it mm-hmm. is it's a great investment that sounds like something that i could be into um i think we could uh, we could all be into it right so you mentioned the aura ring is there any other um, right. So the awesome thing is that we are in a beautiful place in time when it comes to technology. Is there any other technology that you really like to use or like to suggest for people? Yeah. You know what? I honestly, the aura ring gives me every single metric, um, temperature, heart rate variability. I used to wear other like wearables and I found them to be kind of bulky. So it, I don't even know I have it anymore. Um, but also like in terms of technology too, we can be over in terms of like measuring everything. And so I think we need to be careful of that as well. But one of the things that, one of the metrics that you really wanna pay attention to with whatever wearable is your resting heart rate and your heart rate variability. Those are really important signs of longevity. So with your resting heart rate, lower is better, right? If you have a lower resting heart rate, it means you are more athletic, you are more uh, cardiovascularly tuned. Heart rate variability is the opposite, higher is better. And that's just that beat to beat variability within your heart rate. So if your heart rate variability is very low, that means that you are not giving yourself enough time to recover and you're not allowing for enough rest in between workouts. So those are really good metrics that can you know, give you the feedback in order to make any sort of adjustments. My goal is always to optimize, right? I don't wanna, I wanna work smarter, not harder. Nobody wants to spend an hour and a half every day in the gym. So how can I sleep well, eat well, move well, and then do all the other things I need to do? Excellent. Yeah. Heart rate variability. And, and guys, if you, if you do have a wearable that tells you that it, you'll see that it records yours. And what it is, is it's, it's the ratio of where you're at compared to your average. Like my heart rate variability is very, very different than Martin's heart rate variability, which is going to be very, very different than Dr. Christine's heart rate variability. But my heart rate, if, if I'm regularly 75 to hundred on my heart rate variability, and I have a day where I'm 42, that it shows me how not recovered I am or how stressed I am or, or whatever. 
I, today I'm actually in a very low day, but I was up at a hockey game last night and you go to bed at nine 30, I go to bed at eight 15. So I'm, I'm even, Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Um, but I know like my heart rate variability, even at a low side is drastically higher than like my wife's heart rate variability on an average day. So it's, it's all comparative to what you are doing. Um, and then you mentioned the scans that you use for your, for your customers. Um, can we get into that a little bit more? Cause I know we have some like DEXA fit places around here that you can pay to go get scanned, but, um, talk about what those do and, and, and what, how they even work and, and what to look for in those, because, you know, I know that anytime you go into one of these places, they're going to want to sell you a package and they're going to want to talk to you about all the things that they want to suggest. But if we're able to kind of dissect a little bit of that ourselves, it helps. Yeah, absolutely. So for your viewers, most people's health insurance plans are going to cover a DEXA scan from uh, like a medical imaging center. So if you've never had anything and you don't want to pay out of pocket, your, your healthcare provider can order you a DEXA scan. And it's, it's not controversial. You should definitely do that. It, will, it is the best predictor of your bone density, and you need to know that number. It'll also tell you, you know, how much body fat you have, how much muscle, et cetera. That's kind of the gold standard. But again, it's, it's standard care in healthcare. So that's something you should definitely do. The in-body scanner is not as sophisticated as DEXA, but it's actually really good science. And so basically you stand on this device and um, you hold the handles and it sends kind of a signal up your body and it measures how much muscle you have on your frame and it will separate it by area so your right arm versus your left arm you know your trunk your everything it'll tell you where all of your fat is and then it'll also give you your um visceral fat which this particular company recommends a 10 for my clients i'm like i want you less than 10. there's no reason that your visceral fat that's the fat around your liver your pancreas your your intestines you really want to keep that at an absolute minimum. I've gotten mine down to three, which I think is like, I'm very happy there. And then it also is going to tell you your basal metabolic rate. So those are the calories that you need just to exist and the amount of calories that you're burning. And so that data is very, very helpful, especially when I get clients who get frustrated because they're not seeing a lot of movement on the bathroom scale. And so we'll come and do a scan and you'll see drastic changes in decreasing the amount of fat on your body and increasing the amount of skeletal muscle mass. And there's really no better way to do it than, you know, doing the in-body if you have access. Luckily, we own one, so I can bring people in whenever, hop on, let's see what's going on. And it, it really helps because people want instant gratification. If they don't see major changes in the first month, they're ready to like move on to the next great thing. And I think that's a big problem in society is we're always like looking for that next thing when there's really not one. It's just being consistent with what you were working with. And, you know, resistance training, high protein, like that's really it. There's nothing, there's nothing sexy about it. It's just a lot of hard work. Yeah, it's a thing nobody wants to hear. There's not a there's not a magic pill. Uh, well, no, not if you want to build muscle. I mean, we can talk about semaglutide, but you know that's the latest craze, right? Semaglutide and the injection. I'm right? sorry. Yeah, so Ozempic. Yeah. 
So it's a, um, it is the most highly prescribed medication right now. And it is an injectable once a week that was uh, geared towards people with type two diabetes. But what people have found is it's causing them to lose significant amounts of weight by depressing appetite. That's amazing. However, what the studies have shown is the majority of the weight lost on semaglutide is muscle. And so it's really like the worst case scenario for, you know, people trying to lose weight. And so I've got some clients that are on Ozempic and I'm really careful with them to do their in-bodies and say, okay, let's just make sure that you're not losing any of your muscle gain because that would be unfortunate. Well, that's, that's the problem. Put them on a road of, uh, to osteoporosis too. Well, yes, if they lose muscle, they are at higher risk for osteoporosis. So absolutely. But you know, Martin, I think people just are so enamored by this, this notion of being able to lose weight without having to really do anything. And it's, it's a very slippery slope. So you've got to work with people who understand the science, who understand, you know, how all of these drugs work and then how they interface with a healthy diet and a good fitness program. That's yeah, that that's scary. I mean, anybody that's in an extreme calorie deficit enough to be losing that much muscle is is doing more of a disservice because if they're not losing that much muscle and not losing as much fat, they're also reducing their BMR and they're burning less calories in the long run anyways. So um, you're super lean. Do you see any issues with your hormones as a female being that lean? Um, yes. So I've, I am at 15% body fat and I am, I'm actually in a happy place. However, um, I do not get a period, but I am not in menopause and I monitor my female hormones very, very closely, um, to make sure that there's nothing going on. Luckily, I don't want to reproduce. So that's all good, but you do need to, that's a good point. Um, especially with women, you do need to be paying attention to, how decreasing your body fat changes um, the way that you know your female hormones work. Um, the other thing that you need to measure men and women is testosterone. So women do have and should make some testosterone. Men in particular, especially men in, in your ages, like right now it's an epidemic in this country how low our testosterone levels are. So those are things too that we really need to pay attention to and not be afraid to talk about. And so, you know, clients that are on testosterone replacement therapy that is being monitored by a healthcare provider, they're seeing, they're correlated with having a higher longevity, a higher lifespan, a higher health span. Um, because I've got clients in their thirties with a testosterone of 300 that are men. And it's, it's really fascinating and interesting and problematic, right, um, for, for men right now. And I think a lot of it has to do with our food supply and the amount of chemicals that are just in, you know, things you put on your body, your soaps, your lotions, all that stuff. It's just peeling testosterone away from the body. And I think it's a big problem. Oh, and everything. Cell phone signals, um, yeah. stress. Screen time, it's it's everything. I, I know I, I came across a guy last year with uh a, at you know mid thirties with a testosterone of like forty. And he had lived his oh, whole he had yeah. lived his whole life that way. Um so just the the night and day difference of him getting on um TRT was was outrageous. Um but 
if you don't yeah. know, right? You and don't it doesn't know. have to be. And it doesn't have to be villainized. I think people confuse TRT with, you know, what bodybuilders did in the nineties where they were injecting themselves with, you know, massive amounts of, you know, not monitored testosterone that could kill you. But when you work with a provider and you're monitoring your levels, it's, it's really, it's actually sensible anti-aging. So what if there's a male that doesn't want to go the TRT route? I mean, what do you suggest to them as far as, you know, in fifties like myself, but, you know, not quite on the TRT train yet, but, um, what can I do? Is, is Fidoja Agrestis, you know, is the stuff that even like Huberman brings up, right? The natural, uh, supplementation, is that enough to, you know, bring you back to normal? I think the first thing you need to do is monitor very closely. So get your labs drawn. The other thing with um, testosterone is you've got to be careful when you draw your labs. So similar to female hormones, like when I draw my FSH or LH, it correlates with where I would be in my cycle. You would not want to, if you would go to the gym and do like a big le a leg day, right? And then go get your labs drawn. Your testosterone would be really high. So you've got to correlate that. So, you know, first thing in the morning, fasted is really better because it's, it's a hormone that deals with cholesterol um, and measure that. Then I would start with a lot of strong weight training, right? Because muscle is directly related to testosterone and start there, really eliminate things in your environment. Like Paul was saying, pay attention to EMFs, pay attention to parabens and things that bind. And then what are estrogenic chemicals that you're coming in contact with? And then see if those changes make any difference. They probably will. But most people, Martin, don't even monitor their testosterone and they don't, they don't know why they have breasts as a man. And I think it's really important to start talking about it and destigmatizing, you know, men who have low testosterone. Have you ever gotten any testosterone cream on you? Yeah. Who, me? Yeah. yeah, I read an article a woman wrote that she sat in a chair after a guy that had it on his underarms and she sat in it, didn't know what it was, kind of wiped it off, but it soaked in. And she's like, never, never would I want to be a man. She's like, the next the next 12 hours of my <laughs> life was awful. It's like yeah. I looked at every that, single coworker different. <laughs> never heard of that Nitroglycerin one. cream. I've gotten that on me too and I almost passed out. So, yeah, I mean, these chemicals are no joke, right? And they've got to be, you've just got to be really careful and thoughtful um, and, and just monitor so that you're safe. But I think we have learned a lot in the last 10 years about the safety and efficacy of bioidentical hormone replacement in a way that, you know, people should at least think about it. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you and see if you, you had an opinion on it. Have you seen any of the, um, any of the studies on, uh, NAC and its ability to lengthen telomeres? I have not. However, one of the, um, peptides that I personally like to take to lengthen telomeres is epitalin. Epitalin. And not that's that one, one that... Yeah, so epitalin is, it's a little sub-Q injection in the peptide world that has shown to lengthen telomeres. It's got really good data behind it. And so that's one of the things that I've done personally, and I do, I use it uh, once a week. And um, I'm really like, 
I'm really interested. And how do you measure, how do I measure if my telomeres are lengthened? I have no idea, right? There's no way for me to measure that. Um, but I can tell you that as somebody who's almost 50, I feel much better than I do when I was 30. I have more energy. I have more mental clarity. So I do think that you can get better with age. I really do. And I, I, I'm really hell bent on continuing to figure out different things um, that we could do. Stem cells is another area that I'm very fascinated with. I think there's a lot of great opportunity there, although they're very cost prohibitive for most people. But I think we're going to see a lot of um, opportunities with stem cells as as time goes on. There's great research there too. Have you uh, have you experimented with any other peptides, like BPC one fifty seven or TB five hundred or CJC twelve ninety five? Any of the ones that are kind of the, the the big talks? I haven't yet. Um, but I do have kind of a, a list of like next steps of things that I would consider. Um, I have tried PT 141. How'd that go? And I thought, <laughs> yeah, it was a one and done. It's like, okay, enough of that. My husband, I bet he it. did. <laughs> and then the other one I like is melanotan. So when you go outside and uh, melanotan is a melanocyte, melanocyte stimulating yep. hormone, that's a great one um, to prevent sunburn, and it's a it's a really good anti aging. But I'm very open to you know experimenting with peptides and you know just seeing what works for me um, and what doesn't. So as long as you know there's no data that shows they're harmful, I'm certainly open to it. I feel like I'm like a, a petri dish or a you know a, a sub for people who want to yeah. know like okay i'll give it a try and see what yeah, happens the same way um i think the the fda just put out a scathing um document about bpc 157 but then when you get into the actual um if you actually read it from what i gather there is nothing actually negative about the peptide that they stated in the in the reviews it basically just says that we don't have enough safety data um to allow it uh but but all the titles and everything else they put out is like you know this is killing people and realistically that it's it's not it's it's a it's derived it's a derivative of human um gut uh chemical that actually creates um improves all your all your recovery hormones and stuff like that so i mean the fact that they're yeah. they put that out there is really just because um if you can heal yourself without having to purchase prescription drugs then that all of a sudden reduces a lot of their income yeah, you well, that's the thing. It's all about money. Yeah, do the opposite of what the FDA says, and you'll be okay. Maybe not the opposite. Maybe just. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything Close else? Crea- anything else creative you've been doing? Any real wild stuff? I'm, I like that you tried the PT one forty one. That was a not very many people would, would be ballsy enough to try that one. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, it was fine. I mean, it was fine. I, I'm always up for you know what can make things exciting. I've been married for 22 years. So, you know, got to keep it real. Um, the other thing I like, I love is red light therapy. I don't know if you guys yep. have a lot of experience with that, but there's some great data and great research with red light therapy. And I don't own like a full body system or anything like that, but I have red light in my sauna and I've got different like targeted smaller red light devices. There's some great science behind red light. So I think, you know, those are things 
I think there's a there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon that are going to help all of us. So, you know, 20 years from now, we can sit down and talk and we'll probably look the same and feel the same if we, you know, kind of stay on top of the science and really embrace some of the, the things. But, you know, our biggest enemy is comfort. And we, we constantly gravitate towards, you know, sedentary lifestyle, high sugar, and it's it's that that comfort that's really, really killing us. So whenever I find something that is the opposite, like cryo, like a cold plunge, where it's the complete opposite of comfort, I'm, I personally think that those are really good options to at the very least explore. I come from, I come at everything from a very much an evolutionary standpoint. And if you start to think about, um, evolutionarily would this thing have been something that we would evolve to be beneficial or would it be evolved to be negative right and even when you talk about circadian rhythm mm -hmm. the reason that we like yellow light towards the evening and blue light in the morning is because yellow light more signifies a fire that we would have all been you know living around and in the morning the sunlight is much more blue than than fire and that would have gotten our circadian rhythm so anybody that that wakes with the sun and goes to sleep with the sun going down and the fire going down would have been likely more safe and it would have evolutionary been more beneficial for their lineage. So I like to think of everything as far as um, at least start to think about it from an evolutionary standpoint. Foods, right? What foods would we have been more beneficial? Mm -hmm. Would it have been processed foods that hit our system and spike our insulin extremely quickly or quickly? Or it would have been foods that our body has to break down and digest and and get those nutrients out slowly. And everything everything has that kind of an effect. Even the body movement, the muscle mass, all of that stuff. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at things. Um I we're at fifty four minutes. We're we're pretty much cashed out. Um if you had if you had one um, one piece of takeaway advice that everybody is going to listen to, you know, the, the sound bite that everybody's going to see, the, cl the mm -hmm. click-worthy IG post, what would it be? I think it's just be better every day than you were today. That's always my goal is can I be a little bit better tomorrow than I was yesterday? And I'm always challenging myself, challenging my clients to push themselves because we don't know what our ceiling is. I don't even think a ceiling exists. And so we don't know what our potential is, but we've got to continue to try to you know, climb, get better, stretch. And when we stop doing that is really when we start dying. I agree. When we stop doing that is when we start yeah. dying. Um, do you work with people online too, or do you just work locally? No, so I, I work with both. So I've got clients all over the country um, and we can work remotely. I do that a lot. Um, Excellent. And really it's it's just about personal development. How can you be your best self? Tell everybody where to find you, where to get a hold of you. The easiest way is on Instagram. It's Dr. Christine Boev. So Dr. Christine Boev. Got it. And Boev is B-O-E-V. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Christine. You got anything else, Martin? No, it's good to just uh, learn that DEXA scan through my health insurance. So yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. look into that. I encourage too. your to do that too. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you.